Hello, faithful Travel Daily podcast listeners, and welcome back to an episode, as always, full of action, insight, and downright intrigue. Little has changed in the industry's dire straits since we last spoke to you, with the government, as expected, extending its travel and cruise ban for another three months. Amid all that, we've got New South Wales poised on the brink of a potential lockdown, the after-annual report has been released, and the angst over the travel agent grants program continues to grind on. Lots to talk about as usual, so let's get on with it. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. The Australian Federation of Travel Agents has this week released its hotly anticipated annual report for the year to 31st of March 2021, and it makes for some fascinating reading. While the headline loss of $2.1 million was not exactly unexpected, given that AFSA didn't charge membership fees last year, the sobering figures give a pretty graphic illustration of just where the wider industry finds itself. So Bruce, what were some of the highlights or as the case may be, the lowlights. Yeah, look, this is definitely a pretty grim financial result, um, but I guess it also indicates just how hard the industry has been hit. You know, after, like all the rest of us, is in a pretty tough situation due to COVID. So firstly, covering the financials, yes, an overall $2.1 million loss, and that came despite still collecting about 700000 in membership fees during the year. Of course, you know, COVID-19, it has been a massive year and the after staff numbers are now just a shadow of what they were, but that's been unfortunately reflected in almost $600,000 in termination and redundancy payments. But of course, the period also saw the departure of former CEO Jason Westbury in May last year, and he'd been with AFTA for a long time, so he would have had significant entitlements. Other big ticket items were legal fees of 150000 and consultancies, you know, I presume lobbyists, etc., worth a whopping 450000 um, more recently, we've seen the departure of another CEO, Darren Rudd, but the report noted that he resigned on the 1st of April, meaning any payout he may have received fell into the new financial year and wasn't even reflected in these pretty grim figures. Wow. So with no fees being charged last year, how was AFTA actually funded? Yeah, well, basically from the nest egg they'd built up, mostly from the sale of their office in the Sydney CBD in 2018, they did get a record price for it and the money was invested with Macquarie Bank with the aim of providing an annuity. Of course, COVID's changed all that and the figures showed that nest egg that was worth almost $5 million um, in March last year has now been whittled away to just $1.8 million. In fact, they had to withdraw $3.4 million from the fund just to keep things going. Huh. So where do things stand now? Can they keep operating if they're just burning cash at that sort of rate? Oh, look, yes, absolutely, they can keep operating. We keep using that word unprecedented for the last 12 months, and I think the report's actually a clear vindication of what the afterboard has been up to through the pandemic. A crisis like this is definitely no time to hoard cash, um, particularly if you're a a lobbying organisation. You've got to get out there, and as we all know, uh, AFTA has been so incredibly proactive. This pandemic is terrible. We're all continuing to suffer. But what has been achieved, particularly in terms of the grants from the government, has been really incredible. 
And I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes. AFTA's also slashed their costs to keep things going. And I think the industry also understands that while it was absolutely fantastic, so helpful to have that one-year moratorium on fees, if we want representation to continue at the highest levels of government, then AFTA needs money to do that. So they've set out renewals for the current financial year and rightly are hopeful that agents, who have been the recipients of quite a lot of money that they would not have otherwise received, will see the wisdom of remaining part of the organisation. Look, I know there's a lot of whinging going on in some quarters about the renewals, but actually our recent reader survey showed that just about everyone was planning to renew. Having said that, the other side of the coin is that, as we know, the industry is shrinking. So there are definitely going to be lower numbers of after members once COVID passes, and so that will impact the finances. But they have really cut things to the bone to ensure the Federation continues to be viable. Okay, so that covers the finances. Were there any other revelations from the after annual report? Oh yeah, definitely. As we like to say, so much juice. One of the biggest things was a planned review of the AFTA constitution. This was mentioned a bit last year by Darren Rudd. Clearly, there is some dissatisfaction about the AFTA board being really from the big end of town. And that means that under the current constitution, they get a big vote because the major franchise groups effectively have a veto on whoever joins the board. It is a tricky issue because, of course, they also basically fund AFTA. But uh, Chairman Tom Mannering has confirmed a review. I think the term he used was a stronger share of voice across the industry. On that topic, I was reading through the Constitution, and interestingly, it doesn't even mention um, the idea of a home-based agent. All the language is around locations, business premises, which are dedicated to selling travel. So it definitely does need an update to reflect what the industry looks like at the moment. Uh, The other big news was confirmation that the AFTA chargeback scheme, or ACS, will definitely be shut down. Basically, it relies on a type of insurance that just isn't available anymore due to COVID, but also that ACES has managed to pay out all claims prior to when it was suspended back in May last year. Previously, when they suspended it, they had expected large-scale supplier insolvencies. But, you know, despite what we've all been going to, that hasn't happened at this stage. And what about ATAS? What's the future of an accredited scheme with the industry in such dire straits? Yeah, that is a very good question. Um, Yes, ATAS is pretty much just a brand at the moment. Um, There's really no accreditation happening behind the scenes. There isn't even anyone at AFTA left to handle any consumer complaints relating to breaches of the Charter. Um, The scheme continues to be in what they call a monitor and support mode, which basically means they're not enforcing any of the financial criteria or ensuring that ATAS agents are even solvent. We have also seen COVID-19 result in the collapse of some agencies which were ATAS accredited. You know, think of STA travel. So it is a complicated issue. That can't have been great for the brand. And anyway, this whole idea of the future of ATAS is going to be firmly in the purview of the newly appointed AFTA CEO to sort out. And before anyone asks, no, I've got no idea who that might end up being, but I believe they're definitely getting close to making an announcement. Interesting. Well, I will keep my eyes peeled. The second round of the COVID-19 Consumer Travel Support Program closed for applications a couple of weeks ago, but only about 20% of the $130 million has actually flowed to the travel industry at this stage. Agents who reported business revenue of $500,000 or more are now subject to a further assessment by Deloitte, leading to increasing frustration among business owners trying to work out just how long they can keep their staff on. Bruce, what is the latest in this saga? A saga indeed, and definitely reflects what we've all become aware of through this pandemic, just the grindingly slow process of government. This further check was announced 
um, you know, along with the initial announcement of the second round of grants, and the idea was that it would address inequalities from the first round because some people got um, you know more than was originally intended and some got much less. Um, so it's sort of to try to balance that up based on that pesky G1 figure, which was chosen for some crazy reason as a as it turns out, highly inaccurate measure of the size of a travel industry business. Anyway, it has taken Austrade and you know the various officials weeks and weeks to come up with this process. And honestly, to me, it's just adding further complication to what was already a mess. And I shudder to think what Deloitte is going to be making out of this whole thing. Basically, no one in the travel industry has received a cent from this second round if their G1 was $500,000 or more. And I think now they have to submit their tax return for 2018-19 kind of as a verification that their claim wasn't based on TTV. Anyway, you know, looking on the vaguely bright side, at least it is underway and they reckon they can process a couple of hundred applications a week, so money should start flowing soon. Interestingly, um, if you do a calculation based on the latest update from Austrade, there's actually enough in the fund for all of the outstanding applicants, uh, there's 996 of them, to each receive the $100,000 maximum. So based on that, and assuming that you know this audit will weed out some incorrect claims, there's got to be money left over. And that will be good news for those poor multi-agency groups who have had any requests for special consideration held over till the rest of this convoluted process is finished. And they're saying that's not going to be till mid-August at the earliest. Even more complicated, the Austrade update also mentioned those multis having TTV of more than $200 million or $20 million in revenue. So what about the ones with a lower turnover? They just seem to have been left in limbo yet again. Do you have something to say? Why not let off some steam? News on the Fly has started a hotline where you can share your point of view and it may be featured on the podcast. Send us a short voice memo via WhatsApp at plus six one two eight zero. 076760 to have your say and keep listening to news on the fly to see if your voice is featured. Check the show notes for a link to the hotline and a little bit of info about how to send that in and we hope to hear from you soon. Avid News on the Fly listeners will remember our expectations that the extension of Australia's biosecurity emergency period would come along with an announcement about a pathway for resumption of the long-suffering cruise industry. However, while three months were added to the cruise and flight shutdown, there hasn't been a word from the government about cruising, leading to industry frustrations reaching fever pitch. Bruce, do you have any insight into where to now for cruising? Yes, it just seems that the voice of the cruise industry is not being heard in Canberra or or in any state parliament either. You know, there's been so many political delegations showing the impact on suppliers, what we're all going through, and there are more and more positive mentions of cruise in mainstream media. And of course, I'm sure tons of work being done behind the scenes, but it just seems that this consultative approach that has been taken really hasn't borne fruit. So yes, the extension of the biosecurity emergency period until the 17th of September isn't unexpected, but Tourism Minister Dan Tehan basically promised there would be a cruise framework delivered by the middle of this month, and as you said, there just hasn't been a whisper. The month's nearly over. So a bunch of cruise brands have seen the writing on the wall and have cancelled their summer seasons, not to mention the Kimberley, which is also now 
you know, likely to only have a couple of weeks right at the end of the season if it operates at all. Because even if they do give approval, it's going to take a couple of months to get the closest ships into Australian waters. So is there any chance of a summer cruise season at all? Well, at this stage, not everyone has cancelled. Just in the last few days, we've seen Cunard, Seabourn and Holland America, all from the Carnival family, pulling out. But at this stage, um, other Carnival brands are still in and uh, Royal Caribbean and its upmarket Silver Sea sister brand, they haven't cancelled their local departures for the summer. Um, Interestingly, Silver Muse, which has an extended uh, Australian season planned, was probably full of Americans who rightly are wondering how the heck they're going to be allowed to cruise here. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because they can't enter without doing two weeks of quarantine at the moment. Carnival Cruise Line, which also interestingly this week confirmed that its longtime chief Jennifer Vandercreek is leaving to take an up, up another mysteriously uh, yet unnamed role in travel. I can't think what that might be. Uh, anyway, Carnival has also extended its pause until November now. If they do go ahead over the summer, you know, it's got to be on a significantly reduced basis. And again, if these big ships are on the other side of the world, offering revenue generating cruises in jurisdictions that actually welcome them, why would they come here when things are just so difficult? Look, hope springs eternal, but particularly with new outbreaks and our agonisingly slow vaccine rollout, I'm not particularly optimistic, unfortunately. Someone this week suggested to me that given the absolute lack of any political support for a resumption of cruising, it might not even happen until flights reopen. So fly crews would return at the same time as domestic cruises. Surely not. But in this crazy world, who knows? Wow. Well, let's hope things turn out better than that. That's all we have time for in this episode. Sorry that it's all been pretty bleak, but unfortunately, those are the cards that we've all been dealt at the moment. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please continue to rate and review News on the Fly and to share the podcast with your industry colleagues. And we'd really love to hear from you guys, the listeners. So please send us your voice messages via WhatsApp. The WhatsApp number is in the show notes. And if you just press the little microphone button near the bottom of the page on WhatsApp, that's the best way to record it. And then you can send that through to the tip line. We would love to hear from all of you. Hang in there. As Sir Winston Churchill once famously said, if you're going through hell, keep going. After such a shocker of a fortnight, surely our next podcast will have some more positive news. So hopefully that's something to look forward to. We will be back soon with more news on the fly. 